Well, if you've got your Bible here with you today, we're going to look at just one verse in the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 29, verse 18. I, uh, I shared it for many, many years. I've always loved this verse. And um, I think we got up on the screen. But uh, such a simple verse, but I, I only ever shared on half of it. Didn't realise that there was a second part to this amazing verse. Without a vision, the people perish. But those who follow the law will be blessed. That's a modern translation of, of that verse. And uh, I've always loved the whole concept of vision. I love love hanging around with people that that are unstoppable, people that have got something burning in them. And and I've got to say, this church has uh, has had that kind of leadership. Not just Mark and Cheryl, but there's others in this church that have got a vision for this part of Victoria, for the this this growing area down around. Beaconsfield and and uh, it's great hanging around with people that are looking ahead and people that, that come up with crazy mad ideas. And about six weeks ago, my son Ryan called me up. He was down in Sydney. Uh, he's been um, married to Kathleen for the last eight months and they're going fantastic in their new marriage and they met at Hillsong College and uh, decided that they would stay on in uh, in Windsor, just uh, northwest of, of Sydney. They both had jobs there. But uh, amazingly, both found themselves quite unhappy in their job, couldn't find a church to fit into. And Ryan called me up one day and just said, Dad, I'm going to quit my job. And I said, oh, don't do that. And he says, no. Nah. He said, remember how you've always preached as we've travelled around, it's really bad when your kids remind you of stuff that you've said in the past. And he said, Dad, remember how you've always said, if you don't have a vision for your life, find somebody who does have a vision and serve them. If you don't know what God wants you to be doing, find somebody who you know that you know has got a clear picture of what God has called them to do and serve them. As you do that, God will not withhold from you his purposes and his plans. God's character as our Father is to to generously give to us, to equip us for everything that we've been created for. And so it was a simple word and Ryan reminded me, I was like, Dad, remember how you said... If you don't have a vision, then serve somebody who does have a vision. I said, yeah, I remember that. And he says, well, I'm quitting my job and I'm coming on the road with you. And I'm thinking, oh, blow that. Um, He said, Dad, Kathleen and I both don't know where God wants us to be at the moment. And and so Kathleen's going to come home, spend a little bit of time with her family. She's one of eight. And uh, so she's happy catching up with all the nieces and nephews. And for the next three weeks, Ryan and I are on the road together, and uh, which we haven't done for quite a long time, so it's pretty special for us. Last year, my wife Kerry and I did a lap of Australia, as you saw some of the pictures. Spent quite a bit of time in Western Australia. And I'm driving down the western coast of Western Australia, 
driving by the Sandfire Roadhouse. Sandfire Roadhouse is the uh, is uh, the south end of Eighty Mile Beach, somewhere between North, uh, sorry, somewhere between Port Hedland and Caratha. Long, long way, and uh, for many, many years, I've had this mad, crazy dream about riding a Harley Davidson across the deserts of Australia. No one's ever done it. Harleys are too heavy. And they do it on these big, you know, BMW 1200s and um, KTM Adventurers and all these, you know, dual sport bikes, but no one's ever done it on a Harley. From Shark Bay, a place called Steep Point, which is the westernmost point of continental Australia, straight across the Great Victoria Desert into the Western Desert, from the Western Desert down into the Fink Desert, across the Simpson Desert, the Strasleki Desert, Sturts Stony Desert, and then down to Tipperborough, across to Burke, and then across to Byron Bay to Cape Byron, the easternmost point of Australia. I don't know if we've got a, a, a picture of a map of Australia in our pictures, Shane. You might have one there. Uh, I've had this mad, crazy dream for years. I love going bush on my old Harley. I take it places you're not meant to take Harleys. And in fact, the DVD that we gave to Darren, if you want to pick one up, um, yeah, that see that Harley, hold that up, mate. You see that Harley stuck in a salt lake? That's my bike. <laughs> Without a vision, the people perish. If you don't have some picture in your heart of, of where you want to go in life, the Bible tells us that you'll start going backwards. You'll start going the other way. Perishing is a pretty horrible thing. You, you, you grab a Granny Smith apple and uh, put it on the, the kitchen window and for a week it's going to look beautiful. For two weeks it's still going to look good on the outside but on the inside that apple is starting to perish. After three weeks you, you see the skin of that apple starting to shrivel up and shrink and, and the, the fruit is worthless because it was never, ever used for what it was intended. And that happens to us when we lose sight of who we are in God, of who we are in Christ, and of the stuff that he's called us to be doing. The old King James version of that same verse is the one that I love, and it it, it gives you a completely different perspective of, of what... That really means without a vision, the people perish. Have a look at the words of the old King James Version. It says, without, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wise instruction. It's not about you getting your act together and trying to come up with some really smart idea, this is what God's called me to do. It's got nothing to do with you at all. It, it's, it's actually the opposite to that. It's about you and I coming to that place in our lives of just complete surrender and saying, Lord, no more of me and all of you. I want to empty myself of all of my agendas and all of my manipulation and all of my, you know, 
zigzaggy ways of trying to get stuff done. Lord, I surrender my life to you. I want your revelation in my life, not my vision, but your vision, your revelation. And when you realise that that's that's what God's heart is for us, that he's desiring for us more than anything to humble ourselves before him and say, Lord, fill me with all the goodness of heaven so that wherever I go, people are drawn to you because they see something special in me. And uh, it actually takes a lot of pressure off us when we realise that it's God's revelation in our lives. And as Ryan reminded me the other week, Dad, I'm not sure where I'm meant to be going at the moment in my life, so I want to hang around with you for a while. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, I'm a great role model. Because we're on a journey as a, as a family. And I'm going to get Ryan just to share just for a couple of minutes of a part of his journey over the last few years. See, back in the late 80s, Kerry and I, I'd been truck driving and Kerry was managing a hairdressing salon. It never did much good for me. <laughs> we were a young couple and we had a little boy, Shane. And, uh, but we, we went through a difficult time in our marriage, as many married couples do. And can I encourage you today, if, if you are married, stay true to the love of your life. Stay true to the one that the Lord has brought to you. Yes, you're going to go through turbulent times. You're going to go through testing times. And Kerry and I went through a difficult time. And I finally got to a point where I just, I knew that if I didn't follow what God had planted in my heart, that I was going to lose my love for God and I was going to lose my love for my wife. And so I did a radical thing, and it put a lot of fear into my wife. I left my job, and I said, Kerry, I'm going full-time. I want to I put God to the test, and I want to give this music thing a go. And it put us into a really turbulent time. I did not do that season very well when it came to looking after my wife. And so we went through a turbulent time. She, she was pregnant at the time, and... Ryan was born. And then about six months later, Kerry came to me and very humbly said, Steve, Ryan is not your biological son. And I had to come to that place. I never, ever imagined that that would happen to us, that it would happen to me in my life. Here I was, I'd just taken this big, bold step of faith to get out there and go for it for God. And I had this little baby boy, and I was so in love with him. I called him Ryan. In English, Ryan means little king. In Irish, which is my ancestry, the word Ryan means laughter, the little king of laughter. And the Lord said, Steve, this is your little king of laughter. This boy is going to bring so much joy to your life. And I claimed that and Kerry and I had to work through a whole bunch of forgiveness and we, we chose to keep going for it, for God, for ourselves and for our family. But we struggled as the years went by and as Ryan got older, we struggled to work out one day I'm going to have to tell my boy that he's not my biological son. 
And I remember putting it off and putting it off and eventually we got into the teenage years and, and it got harder and harder to do. And I've realised that uh, when I look into this book, God starts off the Old Testament with a young couple. He also starts off the New Testament, the book of the New Covenant, with a young couple. Just a beautiful love story of two young people, Joseph and Mary. Jerry and <laughs> Joseph was engaged to this young lady. And he got the news that his future wife had gotten herself pregnant. Under Jewish law of the time, the law of the Old Testament, when a, a woman is unfaithful to her husband, they drag her outside the city gates and they stone her to death. And by law, Joseph was justified to do that. And yet he got a vision. He had a visit from an angel who said, Joseph, don't stress out. This is going to be okay because the baby that is in your future wife's womb is a baby of great promise. And so Joseph chose to stand by his girl. At the same time, Mary, who came from a town called Nazareth, a town that had a terrible reputation, lots of girls got themselves pregnant in Nazareth. It got so hard for a time that Mary moved away for three months and went and lived with her aunt Elizabeth who took her in and cared for her and comforted her. Miraculously, Aunt Elizabeth was also pregnant with a baby, the cousin of Jesus Christ, a man called John the Baptist. And for three months, Elizabeth cared for this young lady and looked after her and eventually she went back and Joseph and Mary both chose to pursue God's will in their life. They both had a vision they both had, knew that they, they'd had this revelation from God. Hey, it's going to be all right. Just keep pursuing God. I look back at the other young couple at the beginning of Genesis, Adam and Eve. When they were confronted with their own sinfulness, rather than run to God, they tried to hide from him. They tried to, to, to run away from God and pretend that it never happened. And I look back and I realise Kerry and I struggled with that very th issue. How are we going to deal with this? And as the years went by, my ministry got bigger and bigger. My boys got bigger and bigger. We loved them all. But the, way, the day that I sat Ryan down and said, hey, Ryan, we've got to talk, I didn't do it very well. I didn't do it with my wife's blessing and it caused a lot of pain for my wife and a lot of pain for my son. I'm going to invite Ryan just to come and share for a few minutes of what God has done with the mistakes that we make and how faithful and how loving and merciful our God of grace is. So 
Ryan Grace. Yeah, so um as a as a young man, I was a, a normal child, had a normal childhood. And then as I reached up to 16 years old, I started to wonder some some things. And I would look at Shane and I would look at Jordan and I would look at Dad and I would start to wonder, why is their hair all, all blonde? Why is mine brown? Why is my skin tanned and theirs isn't? And these questions started to raise in my head of why I looked not like them. And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, well, I don't know. And then as I got to 16 years old and Dad sat me down and told me that he's not my father, something inside of me died. And it was just like somebody just got a huge weight and dropped it straight onto my shoulders. And followed by this little voice in the back of my head that said, Ryan, you're not worth being loved. That's why you don't have a real father. And I struggled from then on with anything that was Christian. I chose to do my own thing from that point on. I didn't want to hear about God. I didn't want to know about God. I was so angry at him, so angry at my parents for this, and I chose to internalise all of this stuff. And just like a lot of us Australian males, we close ourselves off, we put up our walls, and we try and internalise stuff and pretend like it doesn't happen. And then as the years went on, as I reached 17, the pull of the world started to cripple me and started to have a real stronghold on me. And I was still going on the road with Dad and still playing drums and still doing all this stuff, but I had my two worlds and I had my, I had my stuff I did with Dad on the road and I would play the drums and I would do that stuff. And then I would get home and I would go straight down to the pub and I had my other set of, of our friends. And from 17 to 27 years old, as things went, went on, my life slowly started to do this. And I started to listen to the voices of my non-Christian friends and the world and things like that. And slowly but surely, what started off as just anger inside of me got worse and worse. And as I, as I started to walk and started to try and see what this world has to try and fix my internalised problems, then became my own problems. And as I started to get involved with things and started to party and started to do all these things, drinking and things like that, the drinking then became a problem and then all of a sudden... I couldn't stop. And then when drinking didn't work, all my friends were starting to get into uh, drugs and using things like this. And then from that point, I got into, 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 into drugs and using these things to try and cover up my internal pain of just not knowing who my father was. And this constant voice in my head, Ryan, you're not worth being loved. 
you're not worth it. So I, I did what a lot of us do is maybe if I use enough stuff, maybe if I drink enough, maybe if I use enough drugs, maybe if I look for love in all the wrong places, this pain might go away. But as you do these things, you quickly discover that in the morning, when you're sobered up, when the drugs are worn off, it doesn't work. And see, what we all have in, inside of us is these, I, I like to call them internal weeds. And it's just like when you have a, a huge garden, right? And slowly but surely, these weeds start to grow in this garden. So what you do is you spray them and you try to kill them and the spray works, works for like a week, but the weeds come back. That's what we have inside of us is our internal weeds and we try to use things to try and kill those weeds inside of us. But the only way to kill a weed is actually to get down and pull it out from the roots. And so... As time went on and went on and went on, I tried to kill my internal weeds with more stuff of the world, more stuff, more stuff, more stuff, only questioning the whole time, why is it not working? This parting thing is meant to be fun. It's meant to help. But it only made things worse. And as I got to 27 years old, I finally could not pretend anymore. I'd been pretending for a long time. I'd been hiding behind a mask. I'd been internalizing all these things. And my internal weeds had finally gotten so big inside of me that I couldn't pretend anymore. And um, as nothing worked, the only thing that was left is I was becoming suicidal. And everyone would think that you know, my life was great. I was going on tour with Dad. I was traveling around the world, around Australia, doing these things. But in the inside, I was crying out for help and I was dying. But I was too prideful and too full of myself to put up my hand and ask for help. And as I, as I reached 27, in the matter of about two weeks, everything fell apart. And I lost my job and I didn't have any savings in the bank because I spent it all on things trying to fix myself that actually made it worse. And in March 2014, I tried to take my own life. During that attempt, I had a personal encounter with Jesus. And... Um, he told me, he said, Ryan, I have huge plans for your life and it won't end like this. Two months later, I found myself at Hillsong Bible College, which Shane would always say to me, I think you should go to Bible College. I think you should go to Bible College. I was like, that's a Christian thing. I, I, can't, I can't party. I can't do stuff. Why would I want to go there? Still angry at God and blaming him. See, guys, what we do is when you, when you have stuff inside, you start to use that as an excuse for your bad choices. And it was always, it was my dad's fault. It was mum's fault. It was my brother's fault. It was everyone else's fault but my own. And when you point the finger at stuff and when you point the finger at everything else, what you don't realise is there's one finger pointing at that, but there's three fingers pointing right back at you. And as I got to college... I 
freaked out again. <laughs> After about two weeks of, of being there, guess what? Came back. Ryan, you're not worth being loved. Ryan, you shouldn't be here. Because I didn't know anything about the Bible. I didn't know anything about that stuff. All I knew about God was what I heard from Dad. And I was leaving my faith through my father. And after two weeks of, of, of being there and all the students were 18, 19, 20, I was 27 and had only really found Jesus two months before through trying to kill myself. And as I asked God, what am I doing here? I was angry at him again and I said, God, you've, you've made the wrong choice. I shouldn't be here because the voices, Ryan, you're not worthy to be in a, a Bible college because you don't have the qualifications, you don't know the Bible enough. You're not the right man to be here and you're not worth being loved. And he woke me up when I was in my room alone praying. He woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and he said, Ryan, would you clean yourself before you got into a bath? I said, no. He said, you don't do that because I'm the bath. You get into a bath dirty, you wash yourself and you get out clean. Bring all your muck, bring all the stuff from the past, all your insecurities, all of your unqualifications that you think you have that I don't even see. And I was like, oh, okay. Because I was still so oppressed by this stuff that told me I was not worth it. And from that year on, through just, it wasn't really at the, you know, the big conferences or the big services that I found God. It was just sitting in my room alone, feeling unworthy and burdened by this whole stuff with my dad that I realized I have to do something with my life. What kind of man do I want to be when people think of, of me? Because if I didn't stop this, I was going to either, I was going to end up alone, an angry, lonely old man in a pub drinking by himself somewhere with no family, no kids, still blaming his parents when they're gone and I'm 60. And I, I didn't want to be that. I didn't want to do that stuff. And um, after being in Sydney for a year, I, I really prayed with him and sought it with him and he showed me all these things and now coming back from Sydney, it's, it's the first time now that I can, you know, talk to you guys about this stuff because I would never talk about it. I was so insecure about talking and stuff and I wouldn't ever do it. I didn't think I was even worthy to be up on a stage. And now it's like it, it really doesn't matter who we think we are or what kind of qualifications we have because when I think about God, when I think about Jesus, he's not, he's not that person that points the finger at you. He's not the person that says, oh, I don't think you should be up here because of what you think you can't do because he, he only sees your heart. He's not interested in a certificate or what you think you need to have. He just wants you and you alone. And um, that's, that's one of the reasons why I... I think I'm meant to be here on tour with Dad is to stand up and share my story. And because now our, our, our relationship with each other has never been stronger and it's first time now that I'm actually enjoying being alive and being me. And whenever that voice comes back, 
and says, Ryan, you're not worth it. I respond with, but Jesus thinks I am. Just going to finish. We've probably gone way over time, but it's that kind of church, isn't it? I, I like this mob. I want to share a prayer. If you've got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 1, verse 46. This is the prayer that a young woman called Mary prayed when she finally got that revelation, that vision that, wow, God is doing something in my life and it's way bigger than the here and now. This is the prayer that Mary prayed while she was with her Aunt Elizabeth. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Beautiful prayer from a young lady, hey? And I've realised that God wants to pour out vision into our hearts and lives. Welcome back, kids. Come on in. We're going to finish with one more song. I'll get the boys up. I, uh, I love my wife, adore my wife, and I love my boys. And we look back and all we can see is God's grace and God's faithfulness to us. I want you to be able to say that as you look back with your family. And if you are going through struggles, if you're going through difficult times, as hard as it is to be able to sit down and to work these things through and invite the Lord into the pain of your circumstances. Because I realise that in every way, every one of us are an orphan and yet we are accepted back into God's eternal family because of Jesus Christ our Lord. It's what Christ has done for us that, that fills us with hope and fills us with vision. My oldest son Shane is here with me today and Shane has just been such a, an incredible inspiration and strength to Kerry and, and I and uh, Shane's been involved with helping our ministry transform into being world missions and we want to get involved in all kinds of different things. I want to be involved in serving with the Wilsons in Fiji. I want to be involved in ministry in Papua New Guinea. In, in May this year, I'm going to be out at Alice Springs with Billy Graham's grandson. We're going to do a three-day crusade to all of the remote Aboriginal community groups. Thousands of Aboriginals are going to converge on Alice Springs and we're going to preach the gospel for three days. And if you want to know more about that, Shane's probably got some brochures out there. But uh, without a vision, the people perish. 
But if we follow God's laws, our lives will be blessed. Not the laws of the Old Testament. There are over 650 laws in the Old Testament. God's frustration with his people, just why don't you get it? And then Jesus finally comes along and he stands up and he says, all of the laws have been fulfilled because of me. I have come to fulfill all of those old laws. And I want you to simply obey not ten commandments. I want you to obey two simple instructions. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love people. Love people as much as you love yourself. How good would it be if we could all just do those two simple things that Jesus asks us to do? That's what being a disciple of Christ is all about. Love God, love people. Be available and obedient to what God calls you to, his revelation to you in your life. Before we sing, why don't we bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your revelation. I thank you, Lord, we look at our lives and even hearing Ryan's story and and my story today, Lord, thank you that every one of us, we are a work in progress, that you haven't finished with us. And, Lord, you've called us to life because of Jesus. And we invite you today, Lord, fill us with fresh new vision. For those here in this room this morning, Lord, that may be saying, I'm not sure what I'm meant to be doing, Lord, cause them to be able to serve somebody who does know what you've called them to be doing. Lord, we want to be a people who flourish, full of your revelation and vision, and we invite you to do that in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.